Well, we've come to the main message portion of our service, so I hope you have your Bibles handy. We'll open them up to Acts chapter 7. The title of the sermon today is The Human Spirit. Let's start with prayer. Lord, as we open our Bibles now, we just pray that you bring about change in our lives. We know that there's a lot in each of us that needs to be changed. Our goal is to be conformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. And that's a lifelong process for each of us. And uh, we just pray your help now. Send the Holy Spirit to not only open our ears and our minds, but also our hearts to take in what we read today. It's for our benefit. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Acts chapter 7, I was reading over the story of one of the, the first martyrs in the early church, a man by the name of Stephen. And something interesting happened at the time of his death. Let's look at it. Acts 7, verse 59. He was stoned to death because he was preaching the gospel. He was uh, murdered by enemies of the gospel. It says here in verse 59, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. When he had said this, he fell asleep. Another way of saying he died, because death kind of looks like sleep to us. It's a metaphor here. But this thing about, Lord, receive my spirit, what is that about? What is this spirit that he's mentioning here? Well, it is the human spirit, as we're going to see in Scripture today, you see, we are created by God, as we all know. But there's more to us than the normal person gives credit for. We all have a physical human body that we're happy for. You know, as it, it grows older, it gets weaker and a little more feeble. But it's ours, and we're used to having it, and we appreciate it so much. But there's another aspect to our being that is not physical. It's called a spirit, and in this case, the human spirit, which God actually put into each human being. We're going to learn a little bit more about it today. Jesus said something very similar when he died on the cross. Some of his last words, and I won't turn there, but Luke 23, verse 46, Luke 23, verse 46, he said, Father, I commit my spirit to you. And then he died. So Jesus committed his spirit to the Father. Stephen committed his spirit to Jesus at his death. There was another incident in the Bible when Jesus raised a young girl from the dead. You probably remember it. The man's name was Jairus, and he had a 12-year-old daughter who had died. And Jesus came to the area there, and Jesus was going to raise her back to life. This is in Luke 8, verse 55, and it says at that time that her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. So the Bible teaches us that we as living human beings have not only a physical body, but we also have a spirit. And at death, there's a separation. The spirit leaves and goes someplace. The body goes to the grave or is cremated, whatever the people choose to do with that person. 
In fact, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, again, I won't turn there, but he wrote that at death, the body goes to the grave and the spirit returns to God who gave it. So there is something in us that is spiritual, that you can't measure, you can't weigh, but it's inside of us somehow. And we don't even know exactly where it is. I guess if it's spiritual, it doesn't have to have an exact location, like in your stomach or in your brain or where it is, but it is there and it is very real. And when death comes, there's a separation of what we had been all of our lives, body and spirit. The body goes to the grave and it turns back to dust and the spirit goes somewhere else. The actual word in the New Testament for spirit here is pneuma. It's spelled P-N-E-U-M-A. P-N-E-U-M-A. And we even have that word in our language. Pneuma means spirit. It can also be translated wind, breath. It has to do with air in many respects. Now, you know, if you have a disease of your lungs, what is it called? Pneumonia, which means you've got a problem breathing and, and bringing air into your lungs. Your lungs get infected. Another word that I like is when you go into Goodyear or wherever you get your, your tires on your car, you'll notice that when they put your car up on the lift, and they're going to take the, the wheels off. Of course, most wheels have five lug nuts that have to be on there very tight. And the mechanic will use a tool. It's called a pneumatic impact wrench. And he'll put this fitting over those lug nuts and in a very powerful way, remove the lug nuts. And then when he puts the new tire on, he'll tighten them again. And those tools make a lot of noise. It's called an impact wrench, and it is run solely on air. So that's that word showing up again, pneumatic, run solely by air. They don't plug that wrench in or anything. There's no electricity flowing through it. It's run by a compressor, powerful air flowing into it, and it does fantastic work. So pneuma in the New Testament it's used many times. Most of the time, it's referred to the Holy Spirit, 250 times in the New Testament. But 125 times, it refers to the human spirit. Now, in your Bible, if spirit is capitalized, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. But if it's a small s spirit, chances are, in a case like that, it's referring to the human spirit that God has given us. Now, the Bible teaches us, back in the book of Genesis, that God created Adam and Eve in his own image. So there's more that goes into us than meets the eye. He placed in them a spirit that made the human race unique from all the rest of the things that he created. And again, I won't take the time to turn there, but in Genesis 2, verse 7, it says this, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed, here's this air, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So not only did God form the first man of this substance of the earth, 
And, and again, you know, when you take a physical, the doctors check to see how many substances of the earth are in you. They check your iron level. Can you believe you have iron in you? That's part of an earth material that is in us. And you go down the whole list of the different elements that are in the human body because we're made of the dirt. We're made of the soil. But it's not just enough to have a, a physical human body. God breathed something into the first man and following Adam and Eve, all human beings. Not only have a physical body, but also have a life essence, if you will. There's something about us in us that is invisible, that you can't measure, you can't weigh, but it's really there. And we wouldn't know this were it not for God's revelation explaining to us in the Bible. Scientists have tried to prove or disprove whether something like that is in the human body. And I remember reading accounts of how when a person died, they had them on a scale to see when they breathed their last breath, if they noticed a change in the weight of the person. Maybe if the spirit left, or some call it a soul, we can measure it somehow, and they couldn't. There was no difference. Because the essence of this spirit is not physical. It doesn't weigh anything. It doesn't take up any space, but it's very real. It's spiritual, in other words. And it makes us different from all the rest of God's creation. Human beings are unique. Only human beings are made in the image of God. Now, it is this human spirit that gives us consciousness of ourselves. And what does that mean? Well, we're aware of ourselves as a human being, of who we are, what our job is, what our purpose is. Animals don't really have this. It gives us intellect. It gives us emotions. It gives us fears, passions, creativity. Now, human beings are very creative. We create art, we write music, we write poetry and things like Animals don't do that. God hasn't given animals, even though they're created by God as well, the ability to do that. Why? Because humans are different. Humans are created in the image of God. We have been given more of the abilities that God has. He's imbued those in us. You know, I've, I told you I've got a cat at home. I could put some crayons and some paper down, and he's not going to draw anything. <laughs> but I've got a grandson here. If I give him crayons and a piece of paper, he's going to write all he wants to write and draw pictures. You see, humans are different. There's something in us that makes us different from the rest of God's creation. It is this human spirit that provides us the unique ability to comprehend and to understand. You know, we as humans, what do we do? We make movies, we write histories. Animals don't do that. You know, if you want to uh, read the history of the chimpanzee th throughout the ages, no chimpanzee has ever taken upon themselves to do that. <laughs> they don't have the ability to do it. But how many books on history have been written by humans? It's countless. Every human being has a spirit that enables them to think to feel, to love, to design, to create, and enjoy things like music, humor, and art. And it is because of the human spirit that we have a free will that no other creature on earth has. So we're different. And again, that conflicts with those who think that we have just uh, evolved from other 
animal type life, life forms. No, humans have always been and will always be different, created in the image of God. Now turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm going to focus in a little bit more on this human spirit, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we'll read verses 10 through 16. And we're going to see that the human spirit is the realm where relations between God and a human being can take place. It's where God meets us, in other words. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 10 says this. He's talking about how we understand things about God. He says, but God has revealed it to us by his spirit. The spirit, now here it's capital S, so we're talking about the Holy Spirit. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's, small s, spirit within him? So first of all, this spirit that God has imbued us with, this human spirit, gives us the ability to understand things even difficult things, mathematical things, uh, whatever the case may be. The only reason we can do that is because there's a man's spirit or woman's spirit within them. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, the one who brings us understanding of godly things, gets together with our human spirit and that is the realm where we come to understand things about God. It's working right now as we, we read scripture and talk about this. He says in verse 12, We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught, by, taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual wor words. The man without the Spirit, Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So the spiritual man makes judgments about all things, but he himself is not subject to any man's judgment. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So when you open yourselves up to the knowledge of God, when you seek God, when somebody gives you a Bible and you want to read it and, and try to understand it, God will provide understanding. If you're humble, if your heart is right, if you truly seek him, and the place that that meeting takes place, God and us is in this human spirit that God gives us. Sure, our mind has something to do with it. Our heart, our emotions have something to do with it. But this is how God is able to reach us. Now, people in the world who don't know about God, who don't care to know about God, they still have this human spirit, but it's not being used to its full capacity. They're not welcoming God and the knowledge of God into their life. So we all have the human spirit, but it takes that spirit to meet up with the Holy Spirit for us to start to begin to have understanding and to learn and to know about God. 
Turn now to Romans 8 and verse 16. Romans 8, verse 16. I like the way this particular verse states it about this meeting of God and ourselves in our human spirit. In Romans 8, verse 16, it says this, the Spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit, himself testifies with our spirit. See, that's where the, uh, the meeting takes place. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So God put that human spirit in us for a very important purpose, not just to make us different, not just to allow us to be creative and, and to be self-aware and to write history and draw art and, and all that kind of stuff. That's a part of it. But the most important role that this human spirit plays in us is the meeting place between ourselves and God. And it mentions here how the Holy Spirit works right with our human spirit to convict us and to convince us who we are in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came to this earth to die for all of our sins, we now have the right to be called the sons and, and the daughters of God, the children of God. We have been reconciled back to the Father through Jesus Christ. And we are taught that through the Holy Spirit working with our human spirit. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I'm so glad that through my life experience, and I know you have gone through a very similar thing in your life experience, where you decided to open yourself up to God, to learn about Him, to pray to Him, to seek after Him. And He has blessed us in a way that He has continued to teach us. And this learning process is going to go on, I'm sure, for all eternity. Let's look at one other scripture in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 17. He's talking about marriage here and the relationship of a husband and wife in marriage and how blessed that is meant to be by God. And he kind of compares it to our relationship with Jesus Christ as Christians. He says... But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So again, that's where this beating place happens. Our human spirit along with the Holy Spirit from God. And our goal as Christians is to be united with the Lord. And we are one with him. Notice how it's put in spirit. Getting back to this separation of spirit and body. When someone dies, and we have just mentioned, you know, individuals dying here recently, the body goes to the grave or is cremated and placed someplace, and the spirit goes to God. What is that like? I've wondered that myself, as many of you know, with the passing of our son the, the other month. I wonder, I think about, what is that experience like now? The body has been left behind, but your spirit, all that you are, all that you've experienced in your life, 
has returned to God. I don't know if we can know what that experience is like. The Bible tells us that it's a reality, but you always wonder, what must it be like? I guess we'll all find out someday if we die before Jesus returns, and we'll, we will experience that firsthand. We don't know what kind of existence that is, because we've always had the body and the spirit together, haven't we? And all of a sudden, when death comes, there's a separation that takes place. Now, we know that whatever that existence is like, it's very good. There was a time in Paul's life, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, toward the end of Paul's life, we know that the Apostle Paul had a very difficult life. He endured a lot of persecution because he was preaching the gospel, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, he was shipwrecked from time to time. And as he got to the end of his life, he started to question, what does God want me to do now? What is going to happen? Is my life going to go on, or am I now coming to the end of my life, and this is all going to be over? And he was really torn between the two. You know, he was talking to church members, and he said, I know for your benefit, it's good that I continue living. Uh, because I'm here to serve the church and write these epistles and do all the things that I do. But on the other hand, <laughs> if it's God's time for me to depart this life. Notice what he says here in Philippians 1 and verse 21. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, most people don't think of death that way, but Paul did. Why? He said, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Well, that's encouraging. He says, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So death, when you come right down to it, and based on God's revelation here, death is not bad. It's not a bad thing. Now, certainly it's bad for those who remain behind, who suffer the loss and the mourning and the grief. That's real. But for the person who departs, when this separation takes place, the body goes to the grave and the spirit goes back to God, it's better by far. So whatever that existence is like, and we can't even imagine what it's like to not have your body and to not be subject to gravity on this earth and to do all the things we're used to doing, it's better by far. So that's encouraging for us, especially those of us who have lost friends and loved ones. But that's not only the end of it, because we know that there's a time coming when Jesus is going to return. And the Bible tells us that when that happens, when he returns, he's going to bring with him all of those who have died. And I want to turn to this last scripture in 1 Thessalonians 4, because this is the most encouraging note of all. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. We've read this many times, but let's go ahead and read this again. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep. Again, die. And it's 
called falling asleep because that's kind of a nice way of putting it. It's only temporary. You know, when you go to bed at night, it's temporary. <laughs> you go to sleep and you're going to wake up in the morning. Well, I think Paul puts it this way because he's reminding us that death is temporary because we're all going to come back to life or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. Now, when a loved one dies, you grieve. You really do. But he says, don't grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve, but in the midst of our grief, we have hope. That's the difference. Verse 14, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God, notice, will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, that, there's a key phrase there. Don't, don't ignore that or don't read over that. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. What? Say it. In him. God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. So we want to make sure that we are always in him, in Jesus, in Christ. The Bible uses that phrase a lot of times, and it's important. And when we say in him, we mean in relationship with him. An ongoing, growing relationship, deepening relationship. And why? Because we're reading his word all the time. We're, we're praying to him. We're talking to him. We're uh, meditating on him. So God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, what about those who have fallen asleep not in him? It doesn't say. And I don't know for sure what happens to those who fall asleep not in him. Do they go to be with the Lord? Are they someplace else? I'm not sure. The Bible doesn't specify or really clarify it. Again, we'll find out, but we want to make sure that when our time comes, that we are in him, so that when Jesus returns, he brings those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. So those spirits that Jesus brings back with him from where they are right now with him after death, they're going to be given this new glorified body. And the spirit is going to enter into a glorified body just when, as when Jesus rose from the dead, okay? His physical body was put in the grave. When he rose, it was a different body. All of a sudden, Jesus is walking through walls and disappearing and, and appearing as, as somebody else because he was different. He now had a glorified body. And that's what's going to happen to us and to those who have died in Christ. After that, we who are still alive and left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. So we don't have the answers to all the questions about everybody who has died and, and what their step-by-step -step procedure is going to be 
from reading these scriptures, I'll tell you one thing. We want to make sure that we are in Christ, that we remain in Christ, because the thrust of this passage is those who have died in Christ. And what a glorious thing it's going to be when Jesus returns and our change takes place. We who are still alive will be changed instantly, and those that Jesus brings with them are also going to have a new glorified body, and we're all going to be changed in a moment, in the blink of an eye, physical to spiritual, uh, physical to glorified. That's what our future holds. And again, the Bible doesn't answer all the questions. It doesn't. So there's still a lot we don't know, we don't fully understand, but this we do know. If we are in Christ, whether we're living or we're dead, we're going to be there when Jesus returns. And it's going to be a time beyond which we can ever even describe or attempt to. It's going to be a wonderful time. So God has given us a spirit, and it's meant for a, a positive purpose. Not just, just to make us different as his creation from the rest of creation, but it's the meeting place between ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our emotions, and God. And that's why God put a human spirit in each of us. That's why we were created in God's image. And we need to rejoice in that and be thankful. So we're going to have our communion service now. So 